following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Today's reading is from 1 John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 29. Can everyone hear me okay? Okay. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you, writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is the new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father that is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. But what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, 
abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The word of the Lord. We're continuing our series in the letter of First John. If you've never read it straight through, which is it's actually good advice for every book of the Bible, though some of them are quite long. First John is one of the much shorter ones. Remember, it's a letter that was written to a community of believers. They might have been scattered over a over a uh, a region. We call this a circular letter, not because it's round, but because it gets circulated. And of course, could you imagine if you had a relationship with the Apostle John and you received a letter from him? Pretty soon we're going to have to explain to people what letters are, but you all know what they are. You remember receiving a letter and you remember being excited about receiving certain letters, dreading other letters. And maybe some of the people were dreading a letter from John, knowing some of the issues that were happening within the community that he felt this responsibility for. But you wouldn't read it over several weeks. Uh, I've been planning for 10 weeks doing a couple of talks per chapter, there's five chapters, but they would just read the whole letter. And there's actually nothing like doing that. So if you've never done that with this letter, I encourage you to do so. This week, the section we're looking at is chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. It's the latter part of the chapter. And there's a couple of concepts here that have been have become quite familiar, but they have more or less taken a life of their own and no longer are rooted in the passage in which they are found. And so I hope to be able to unpack some of that for you this morning. This, this issue of teachings, taking a life of its own, no longer rooted to the Bible, really is relevant to John's letter because it seems that there were people that were part of their community that left, they might have even been sent out, some of them, um, and they began to de- develop their own ideas. Some of them connected to writing good teachings, some of them seemed to be completely disconnected from it, but whatever it was, their, their teaching had become disconnected from the truth of Scripture and the truth of Jesus, and the community, this John's community, had become severely affected by this false community. And while he had great confidence that those he was writing to really knew the Lord, knew the truth, and he was able to encourage them Well, and then he needed to encourage them to stick with what they really knew because he was concerned that they would be distracted um, and they they would move away from the truth as it's truly known in Jesus and in God's word. And so let's get into it. Verse 18, children, which is the, this very endearing way that John sees the community. He might be quite old at this time, and it's also reflecting the responsibility that he feels for them. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. So first of all, what is, quote-unquote, the last hour? 
This is the only time this kind of phrase is stated in this way. But it seems to relate to the idea, the biblical idea, that towards the end of this age, a little side, I never say at the end of time. That's a very common way to talk about what the Bible calls the end of the age. Somebody somewhere started referring to what people call eternity, or what the Bible calls the age to come, as when time will be no more. So are you saying clocks won't work in the new heavens and the new earth? Is that what they mean? We won't be able to count? Is that what they mean? Well, what they actually mean is the age to come. But there's some very weird thing that I think this does to people's minds when we think now we're in time, and I really wish he'd hurry up and finish his sermon, and then one day there'll be no time. But the Bible never teaches that. My brothers and sisters, is it right to beg you? Please try to stick with the Bible. And I encourage you, don't be open, don't be open to just some crazy teaching that even I might be sharing. My hope is to draw you back to the Bible. And there is this thing that keeps happening. It was happening in John's day, and it's happened ever since. Start with the Bible, come to some conclusions, then from those conclusions go on to other conclusions and so on, and eventually, how in the world did we get here because what we're now thinking has no relationship to Scripture whatsoever. One of them is when time will be no more. If somebody would like to show that to me in the Bible, I'd be happy to see it. All right. But there is this idea that this, at the end of this age, the age, the age that's been cursed because of sin, in this age, one day, there'll be the age to come when God will set everything right. And we know now, due to the New Testament, that's when the Lord returns. But there's something about this time period from when Jesus first came until he returns that's very special. It seems that many of his followers thought that, that waiting period was going to be rather short. And this is where we like to quote to the Lord, a day is like a thousand days and a thousand days is like a day. Um, we're still waiting. And it's 2,000 years. But it seems we're in the period of this great cosmic clash. We saw that when, when Jesus first came, it's like the demons were all coming out of hiding. They were there before, but they weren't making themselves known in the way they did in Jesus' day. Jesus began to push back the deeds of darkness. He was exposing the deeds of darkness. People were coming to know him. People were repenting. And one of the wild things about this age, maybe you don't realize, is people of all nations and languages started turning to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are all signs of the end. It's like, I don't know if you've ever read a book, maybe it has 15 chapters, and you get to the last chapter and you find out that the last chapter is like twice as long as the rest of the book. So we're in the last chapter, folks, but it's, it's taking a little while. We are in a cosmic battle. We are in the last hour. And so he's saying the reason why we know this is the last hour is because many antichrists 
have come. He says, you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So most Bible knowledgeable people know about the Antichrist. And some of these knowledgeable Bible people have all sorts of ideas about the Antichrist. But this is another one of the biblical concepts that's taken a life of its own. First of all, this is the only place in the entire Bible where the term appears. It's tied to the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it's as well as the beast in the book of Revelation. But note, nowhere in the Bible does it say Antichrist equals the man of lawlessness equals the beast. That equation is not in the Bible. They're, they might be connected, but I think this is a, one of those many examples of, of Scripture where we need to be very humble and not try to make clear what the Bible itself does not make abundantly clear. I really believe that will keep us closer to the Lord and closer to His truth. Now there's a point being made here. They've heard about Antichrist coming, and so now many Antichrists have come. That's the point in this letter. He's not doing one of these prophetic teachings or eschatological teachings that uh, they're not as popular as they used to be. People used to flock to these conferences with all these charts and maps to understand where we are in the prophetic clock. And I, I've been to those. I gave my testimony at one of those many years ago. I remember people being so excited about things that, in my opinion, were not in the Bible. It was so There was so much guessing going on, filling in all sorts of gaps about the time we're in. And I'm going to leave that because the point is, and it's the point we shouldn't miss, John isn't writing to them so they know about what's happening in the end times as much as what's happening in, right in their time that many antichrists have come. So what is an antichrist? Antichrist means in place of or against the Messiah. That's what it means. And so there is this idea that one day there will be somebody who will be a key person who will be against Christ or in place of or place of Christ. Again, we don't know if it means against or in place of. We don't. But if we are not prepared to recognize the phony, we will be taken in. And that's what John is emphasizing here, because he's not so concerned about this great, maybe one day, man of lawlessness that might come. He's concerned that there are people operating and, and affecting their, his community in ways that are either against or in place of Jesus. And they need to be warned. And so do we. This is the great cosmic battle. That with the coming of Jesus, now all the forces are coming out and they're contending for people's lives. They're contending for the truth. So once the gospel goes into the world, that's when you get the counterfeit gospels, right? So now that there's stories about Jesus circulating in their day, as has been since, as, uh, since then, there's all sorts of either um, stories that contradict the message of Scripture, 
or they twist the message of, message of Scripture, and they're equally destructive, and we need to be on our guard. This is the cosmic battle. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I thought, I, I get why some people get really obsessed about false teaching. And maybe some of you have been very, very into ministries that are dedicated to exposing false uh, teaching. I've known people is that you can't talk about anything before they tell you why this, that, and other thing are wrong, and it's dangerous. Now, everything becomes dangerous, everything's false, and how they in the world figure out that they know the exact truth about everything, I haven't been able to figure out. But one thing I was able to figure out, that people to get obsessed about false teaching become very, very negative. They become very scared, and they're not. And instead of doing what John is trying to get his community to do, which is focus on the truth, focus on the Lord, and live rightly. That is John's point. And so, yes, we need to be concerned about false teaching because it's damaging, because it's destructive, because it divides congregations, because of all sorts of negative things. But we're not to focus on the false. We're supposed to focus on the true. So let's look at who these particular antichrists were, verse 19. They went out from us, John writes, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and it might become plain that they all are not of us. I might have mentioned this last time. When you read John, you feel like you're going around and around and around and around and around. And what I've been seeing is this is a mark of oral communication. There's a real good chance that John, who was a fisherman, may not may not have learned reading and writing at a young age. But uh, even illiterate cultures, they learn to communicate. They learn to tell stories. They do so in ways that are very different from writing. That's why when you uh, compare John's writing to Paul's writing, Paul was a scholar, an academic, a brilliant writer, dictating, but he, 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 he dictated his letters as if they were like theology, these theology lessons. John is like pouring out his heart as somebody who truly knows the Lord and really cares about the people under his care. But uh, one thing in our, our family now has been popular is we use this program called WhatsApp. We often send text messages to one another and we have our family group and some of these things. And some of the members of our family like voice messages. And sometimes I find them quite helpful one of the things about voice messages is the, there's so much repetition. And I was getting really frustrated sometimes, and now WhatsApp allows you to speed up the messages, which is really nice. Um, but it's like, they, some person said, and I do the same thing. Say the thing, explain, go back to the beginning, explain, reiterate. And it's like, can't you just write it down? Because then it's all very much in a straight line. And I've realized, oh, that's a dynamic of oral communication. We tend to, to, to do that. We go around and around. So don't be tripped up by that when you read John. And also, as an inspired writing, this form of communication is so important for us to get the point of what he's saying. So here, he's pointing out that there were folks, as I said, either they were sent out on a mission 
or they left, but at some point they disconnected from the community, um, and their disconnection from the community proved um, that actually they were never part of them from the beginning. Now, people like to get into all sorts of theological uh, issues about what that means, but I'm going to skip that. Verse 20, but you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have and you all have and you all have knowledge. So he's contrasting these people who have left, making up their own message or other false things about the truth. But he says, you who have remained, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. We'll look at the, uh, the two parts of this of this verse. First of all, here we encounter another one of these terms that have taken a life of its own. Anointed. You'll, maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard people talking about the anointing. Have you received the anointing? Also, there is, oh, that preacher or that worshiper is so anointed. Among Christians, that is often the way the word is used. That is not how it's being used here. And this is the only place that we see this kind of terminology, again, in the New Testament. You have been anointed. Um, so in the Old Testament, priests and, and kings were anointed. Oil was poured on their heads to signify that they have been set apart by God for a particular task, a particular mission. And John's saying that is what has happened to the true believer. And we can connect it because of the way he says you've been anointed by the Holy One. To be holy means to be set apart, and God is holy of all holies. He's the, he's the set-apart one. And when he calls us into relationship with him, when he calls us into service to him, he sets us apart for his service, for himself. We're no longer common. We are holy. And that is signified by being anointed. And then he says, and you all have knowledge. Now this could be a hint of one of the things that was going on with these false teachers. In the first century, we had the early beginnings of a heresy known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is very difficult to understand, probably because there's so many different versions of it. But one of its key components was the, um, the receiving of special knowledge. Like, it's like secret knowledge. And sometimes we still see it um, manifest itself in, in contemporary Christian so-called faith. That if only we knew the right things, and that makes us special. I've seen that with certain kinds of theology. Oh, they don't understand um, how predestination really works. If only you understood, you would be in the know. And some people, they don't really preach Jesus they preach theological doctrine, and it gets, it's so tricky, it sounds so good, but it may not be Jesus. We need to be very careful when we become more concerned about our theological subpoints than about, about Jesus himself. And so it's this idea that if you only understood, and, and one of the reasons why that's so dangerous, and we see this through the Gospel of John, John is so concerned that our faith connects to our lives. And that's why we see over and over again, if you don't love your brother, if you are not righteous, and so on, you're a liar. 
and you say you believe in Jesus, you're a liar. If your life does not reflect the truth that you claim to believe, you're a liar. You could, you could, you could fill your head with all sorts of truth, but if you're, the truth that you're filling your mind with tells you it doesn't matter how you live, that is not the truth, it's a lie. The true truth is intimately connected to living good and godly lives. And we've already dealt with, we'll deal with it again. John understands we still sin, there's provision for sin, but if we use the gospel to just put up with our sin, that's not the gospel that we're really believing. It's something else entirely. So when John says you all have knowledge, he's saying you really have the true kind of knowledge through the gospel, through Jesus. You don't need that special teaching that they're trying to influence you with. I remember once I was at this major men's conference somewhere else in Ontario, and this well-known pastor and writer was one of the key speakers. I was already very disturbed by the things that he was teaching. I just I felt that there was really something wrong with what he was saying. He said a lot of good things, but it was kind of combined with some not-so-good things. I couldn't really put my finger on it, and I was with a whole group from the church that I was with, and I was sitting next to the pastor, and, and he was really into it, and so I was feeling really, what am I going to do? This is awful, and I, and I, I don't know what to do with this. And then um, at some point he comes to the end, and all of a sudden it comes to me. Only God knows if it was a prophetic insight. And all of a sudden I thought, I was thinking all the way through, I said, where is he taking us? Where is he taking us? Where is he taking us? And he was talking good things, talking about um, rewards. We need to live a, a godly life. And, and it, so we expect good rewards from God when, when, he comes, when the Lord comes back. And again, there are many good things. And he was an excellent speaker. But where is he taking us? Where is he taking us? And all of a sudden this thought comes to me. He's going to sell his stuff. And then he ends and he goes, and I, I learned it was an act because I somehow I caught him on YouTube later on doing the exact same thing. And it was, um, could I have a few more minutes? Okay. And he brings up, have you ever seen like The Price is Right? He brings up the girl to come up and he says, and all these men had moved forward and they're crying and they're all moved and, and all the rest. And, and he said, you know, what I've shared with you today is all fine and dandy, but you've got to be able to keep it. How are you going to keep it? And so she comes up and shows the DVD kit at special conference rates, which was the same as the one I saw on the YouTube, uh, that I saw on YouTube from somewhere else, except on the YouTube one, it was US dollars, not Canadian dollars. And it's, whoa, and they were all buying into it. And I was talking with a friend of mine that I traveled down to this place with, and I told him, I, I felt like standing up and screaming. And my friend said, well, why didn't you? And I'm still, I've been still thinking about that ever since. There are wolves, true wolves, and some of them look like real sheep. And again, I'm not saying that we should get all negative and start going after all the false teaching, but we need discernment, and we're going to get that by focusing on the truth. So he says, verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. I want to give a different kind of illustration of what 
I think good teaching really is. And um, I remember at another event I was at, it's actually in the, in the Renfrew area, and uh, a friend of mine come from Israel uh, to be one of the speakers. And he was teaching all sorts of things that was, that was new to a lot, a lot of people. But there was a huge difference between what he was doing and what this other gentleman was doing. What my friend was doing is he was shedding light on what was actually in the scripture. Now, I'm, I can't say for sure that I you know, I know from God that this is the case, but it, it illustrates for me, and I've seen this before. I, remember, um, I spent some time uh, taking courses at Regent College in Vancouver, one of the world's renowned postgraduate schools, and I've attended some sun, uh, Sunday school, but it was summer school there. And I was going to this little wonderful church, and uh, one of the younger elders was taking his first seminary-type course in his life. He always wanted to do that. He was all excited. And um, uh, one course I was taking was off the charts, wonderful. This one, not so much. And I was, again, quite disturbed by the, some of the things that this renowned scholar and professor was saying. But I remember my friend, the, the younger, young elder, around my age at the time, I guess he's still my age if he's still alive, um, it was during a coffee break time, and he had his Bible open, like this, his Bible open. He came over to me and he said, where is he getting this stuff from? And it's like, and yes, and, and you get the impression, well, you know, if you have two PhDs, then you're able to see things that aren't there. Uh, well, they see things that are actually there that nobody else can see. But yes, there are complicated things in the scriptures. Yes, we need renowned scholars, and I have been blessed by being taught by some of the best. But these best ones are the ones with broken hearts. They have walked with God. They love the Lord. They love his word. They've gone deep in the scriptures and they draw us into what's really there. They don't, we don't end up in a situation, well, if I don't buy their book and I don't watch their DVDs, I'm never gonna be able to figure this stuff out. And I've discovered that even the most complex things of scripture, when you understand them for what they really are, they can be explained to a child if only we use the right kind of vocabulary. But when the stuff becomes so complicated that you need a degree to understand what the person's saying, then I, I become very suspect of that. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, because you know it and there's no lie. It, no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? John has already been emphasizing that the Jesus he's talking about is the true human Jesus who was born to Mary in Bethlehem, who lived a real human life, died a horrific death on the cross, and rose from the dead bodily, and is at the Father's right hand. This Jesus, and this Jesus is the Messiah. And the denial of the truth is a denial of either one of those. Either Jesus really isn't the human Jesus, he's, he's some sort of um, mystical something else, or he's not really the Messiah. Both of these are so important. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one, verse 23, who denies the Son has the Father, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Confessing the sign isn't simply saying the creed. When you're in a society where saying the creed costs you your life, I figure 
you really mean what the creed says. It's no longer a cheap confession. It's the real thing. And so when confessing the Son is confessing the Son for who he really is, and if we do that, then we have the Father. Let what you have heard, verse 24, from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. We, we studied this a few weeks ago, looking at the Gospel of John. He's basically saying, stick with what you know in him. And this is the promise, verse 25, that he made to us, eternal life. And eternal life in John, both in his gospel and his letter, is not simply the ticket to heaven one day. It's a quality of life, of the fullness of God that we experience now and we will experience forever. According to John, if you truly confess the Son, you have it all. We have eternal life. I'm going to try to end quickly. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing, there it is again, that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. For as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Um, I'm going to end it here at this and quickly explain that I've already been explaining this. This idea that you don't you have this anointing and you don't have you don't need anyone to teach you. The kind of teaching that was being foisted upon uh, John's disciples is the kind of teaching that I illustrated earlier where the person's saying, you can't figure this out on your own, whether it was the professor, whether it was the pastor, that kind of idea, I've got the knowledge, you gotta buy my books, you gotta attend my courses, or you can't, you're not in. That's the kind of teaching that John is pushing back. In Jeremiah chapter 31, the passage about the New Covenant, we read that when God puts his word in our hearts, a promise originally given to Israel that's now applied to all believers through the Messiah, he says that no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We don't need priests and prophets to be the ones that know and we just follow what they say. We don't need priests, we don't need rabbis, we don't need gurus who are gonna be the ones that are in the know and we just follow what they say. I remember years ago um, in that same nice little church where the friend attended the course, we got this new pastor. He became a good friend, he was quite unusual, um, but people were divided over his some of his teaching. And one day, uh, one of the regular members said to him, I've listened to this radio preacher, and I've listened to you, and I'm going to go with him. That's bad. That's just bad. That's sort of this sort of thing. This is what John was concerned about. You're listening to them guys over there. And it's not about John, the celebrity apostle, versus the false teachers that he's calling Antichrist. It's not... Vote for the one you agree with, and then follow them. He's saying there's a reality that has come to us through Jesus, where we now have his spirit, we have his anointing, he has set us apart, and we have the capacity to discern the truth. We don't, we don't throw out our minds and just follow someone that we like, 
or someone that we've always followed or the group that we've always been part of. We need to be children of God. We need to be followers of the truth. And we each are responsible for discerning that truth and living accordingly. When that day comes, what will not cut it is to say, but God, I followed that person. I was loyal to my church community. That is not what God's looking for. He's looking for hearts that are broken before him, who have put their trust in him and follow the lamb wherever he goes. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that this is real. And I'm aware not everybody believes it's real. There might be people here that don't believe it's real. That you have really come as a man and gave your life for us and conquered death. That we could join you in, in the new heavens and the new earth forever. And that not and, and, and in the meantime, you've given us the gift of your spirit, who's our primary teacher. Lord, thank you for rescuing us from trying to pick the right person to follow because the right person to follow has come. And he said, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. God, I need your presence and power personally and intimately in my life now. I can't face the things that I'm facing right now without you really. And while I'm facing challenges and burdens that to me seem to be like nothing I faced before, the fact is none of us can truly face life. Sometimes it seems to be easy. Sometimes it seems that we have things out of control, but that we have things in control, but we don't. We need you. Lord, help us in this time to seek you like never before, to hear you speak to us, to be aware of the knowledge that you have given to us, to be aware of the anointing that is ours, that we would truly live as your children and that we would not be taken in by false teaching, by lies, and by distractions. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.